0: That's part of one of the reasons why I enjoy the league is the people are are fascinating and fun. And then being able to actually talk to you guys and put voices at least to personas and whatnot, uh, it just makes me feel closer to the league.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I enjoy listening to your corner too and all that. So you're you're one of the ones I've always uh, looked forward to seeing it. I don't know how much I'm going to look forward to seeing this or, excuse me, hearing this one, but uh, we'll go from that.
0: Welcome to the GM's Corner, a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat and try to figure out all of their very best secrets so that I can win even more. I know that's going to sound really fun now. (laughs) I'm Ron Collins, General Manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and today I have the very special pleasure of having Ed Murphy with me here today in the BBA Network Studios. Ed is the longtime general manager of the Des Moines Colonels. Uh, I think that stint started back in 2004, if I'm right, when he took over for a guy named Blake Camden, who sounds like a movie star, right? Ed's process here started off really well. He went to the playoffs three times out of four seasons, if I'm doing my, uh, remembering my research right, even won a Landis.
1: Is that correct, Ed?
0: That is correct. The highlight year, 07. Welcome aboard. Thank you so much for spending your time here this afternoon.
1: Well, thank you, Ron. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to sit down and talk with you. Uh, sat down and talked to our my coworker, Mike Bischke, and he indicated that uh, this is easy and painless, so I decided to throw my hat in after many requests of you asking me to do it, so... Here we go. Let's rock and roll with it.
0: Yeah, I'm really, really excited. I've always, I've been extremely interested to have some time to uh, actually talk uh, with you. It's one of the things, uh, like I said in our little pre-talk, it's one of the things I love about these GM's corners is that we get the chance to actually talk person to person, right? So you talk about Mike and Mike Bischke. Is Mike the way that you actually found your way into the league?
1: That is correct. Going back to, oh, I'm going to say 12 or 13 Uh, Is when I came on board. He was probably close to four or five months in the league before I was. And we would sit down at the water cooler and talk, and he would say all this kind of nice stuff. And, oh, Ed, you should get into it. You should get into it. And I go, nah, no, I don't really want to. At that point in time, I was playing baseball mogul in a a single player type game. He goes, well, you really get into it and you enjoy it. So one day he, he. convinced me to reach out to Matt, and uh, I said, okay, I'll go in, and my intention was to go into the EBA, play, let's just say, two seasons there, because at that point in the EBA, you didn't have to do any writing. Shortly, I'm going to speculate, it maybe it would have been five to seven days later, I get a PM from Matt saying, how would you like to take on the colonels? <laughs> And I go, whoa, I didn't expect this that fast. That's a pretty quick apprenticeship. That was, yeah, when I was wanting two seasons or so underneath it. And uh, Mike always reminds me that I'm probably the only GM that has won two championships, one in the EBA and the other in the BBA. (laughs) Well, the EBA was basically two exports, and that's all I did in that one. I looked at the game and saw what it was like, exported it. Came back, oh, I'm in the playoffs. Okay, that's the game. No player moves. Exported it and da-da-da, champion. You did exactly what was needed for that team. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nothing.
0: Well, you know, sometimes that's the best leadership is, is to uh, is to do nothing. Yeah. You mentioned something as far as uh, the writing and the so forth. I know right now you're a fairly quiet general manager, but I was actually really interested because when I took over doing the participation point stuff, I was looking back through our history and so forth. And mm-hmm. I saw there was a, a quite a long period of time where you were doing quite a few team newses and we quite energetic as far as the, the board is concerned. So I thought that was interesting, and I'd be interested in your, your flavor of how do you feel the league different from when you first
1: started to where you are,
0: where we are right now?
1: Uh, I enjoy it, and I don't find the, the writing as hard as it is for me now. Mm-hmm. Years ago, when I was, if you want to call it, more energetic – I was looking more at building participation points to build a stadium. So I got the points to, to build the stadium and in away in a I went. There you go. I also felt that if I do a little more writing and throw some of these points at the players, that they would all of a sudden blossom more, you know, when you have an average player to make them above average. Mm-hmm. But I could not figure out who to do it with, and if it really worked at the end of the day. So if you want to call more of a quiet type of thing, then I went back and became a little more quiet and then writing that type of stuff. Yeah, I think that's a a magic question, right? How much does things like uh,
0: changing personality traits actually make a difference? I have (laughs) no idea, really, as far as that's concerned. Uh, I assume it makes at least some small difference, but mostly... um, you know, clearly I'm a productive team news generator when I'm in the right frame of mind anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've always done it. I've never done it for the points. I've been in many OOTP leagues and I never do them for the points. I do them because I enjoy the fictional aspect of the game.
1: And you are been a, a gifted writer and I bet you in your real life you've worked hard at it and uh, I do enjoy reading what you've written. No, thank you. And on occasions, it, it comes up with another idea that, hey, maybe I can do something there too, or, or write something along those lines. And and on occasion, I I've done that well, like with the um the super fan that I did a couple years ago. I I I said, hey, let's do something like this, and sat down and. And struggled it out, wham bam, thank you ma'am, and that's what it was. So Eleanor has a has a small fan base. I get an occasional comment, or got an occasional comment
0: uh, on the on her article.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so that was fantastic. Now you talked about being one of the few people who have a championship in the EBA and the BBA, two different uh, championships, and you had a really nice run in the first five years or so of your time here. But it has not mm-hmm. gone so, quite so well for several years since then. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably fair to say that the De- Des Moines fans are championship starved.
1: Uh that's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> um, l- looking back, I will say I believe I had a, a good quality team. I made maybe two or three nice trades, and everything seemed to work out well for me. Then, through attrition, the those good players decided to leave. And or retire, and I just could not find or figure out where I was or what I needed to do. Then there was a time frame that I'll say I started chasing everything. Mm-hmm. And when I refer to chasing everything, is at the end of the season, I looked at my pitcher, my pitching, for an example, was real down. So I'd go out and I'd trade bats for pitchers and then the following year I find that my pitching's improved a little bit and now I'm at the bottom of the uh, batting thing so I go out and start trading pitchers to get more bats and I never got good quality players it was if we want to use a word it seemed that I was um, always getting fleeced And then I uh, just started to keep my players and and uh, not do any trading for a few years. And all of a sudden I start to move up to the uh, the 500 mark. And then I go out and I start to add a piece here or there. And when I add that piece, it falls back the other way. So life is not kind or fair. No, it is not. In a way, I kind of look at myself as the poster child of bad contracts. I can go out and find them and get the players. You know, I look at my buddy uh, Juan Hernandez mm-hmm. uh, as a pitcher. I think he came from Vancouver, and then he was a free agent, and I offered him or got him for uh, about $15 million. And then the next two seasons, he decides to give up uh, close to uh, – I think it was 42 and 43 home runs each year. Yeah. That was, okay, well, but uh, then I got lucky and put them out on the waiver wire and somebody got rid of that bad contract for me.
0: Yeah, I think the board has had conversations almost since the time that I've been here about bad contracts because bad contracts Mm -hmm. come about all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Right, and I think that's one of the – One of the—it's not even a skill in that sense. It's um, there's a feel for it. You get a feel for when you uh, can afford to take the risk of a bad contract, and when you cannot afford to take the risk of a bad contract. You know, somebody like Sean, right, with Ignacio uh, Rodriguez with Irod, when he signed that contract, it was not a bad contract at all. Irod was a superstar, and he was at his peak, and like. Thirty-two seconds after inking that contract, his arm got blown off. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how can you how can you um, protect yourself against that? Well, you can't. But that may not have been the right time to actually make that contract. Although now Sean is doing fantastically, so it worked out. You know, he, he, Sean is a
1: is a perfectly great GM. He understands how to deal with certain things. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and and like I said, I think I'm I'm hoping I'm learning from ever, all everything I've done in the past, and not to redo it again.
0: Well, the team right now is 45 and 48. You're two games out of a wild card. Let's talk about where you feel about the Colonels right this minute. What's your what's your master plan? How do you see your strengths and weaknesses? Um, what are your thoughts as you sit here in what is it mid July of 2035? Well,
1: that is incredible, I will tell you that. I believe uh, since uh, June 16th, I've went, I think it was 16 and 8 and got me pretty much close to the 500 mark. All of a sudden now, I'm sitting here and, and thinking, maybe I can be a contender in that type of stuff, but I would need to I- improve in a couple of areas mainly i believe at the bat but do i want to go improve my bats and increase my salary and buy another bad contract or something like that out in the trade market so i've been doing a lot of thinking and uh kind of waffling not knowing where to go and all that situation so uh, i did some math on this if i could find my piece of paper which now i can't seem to find, I believe I was in the like point uh, six seven for the past uh, 30 days, like I said, 16 and eight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: right now I we only have uh, 69 games left. So if I continue at that pace, well, I could win 90 games. well that's I don't think gonna happen. So let's go to the the, the means of it or in the middle of it that would come out to be right around 85 games, four games above uh, uh, 500. And that might be a possibility that way. So right now I'm really thinking hard about it. And I like these uh, two days sims where I don't have to worry about anything and I can think and analyze what I'm gonna be going doing in the future. Having the extra time to sit down and look at things is helpful. correct.
0: And so much yes. of it, I mean, you've heard almost every GM that I end up talking with um, and, and I'm listening to you between the, the cracks, right? Uh, almost every GM that I end up talking with and you see it on the board a lot is it almost doesn't matter what your plan is as long as you have a plan,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And so um, yep. so I think that's uh, a key a key element to come forward to and you're, we're coming up to the trade deadline, so it'll be very interesting to see where you, you come out on that. Uh, uh, clearly the board is has been buzzing about uh, the deal that we put together as far as that's mm-hmm. concerned. We haven't actually talked about it. Is In the pre-talk or whatever, I'd be interested in uh, just letting you have a few moments to talk about that trade a little bit and see what you come up with.
1: Well, where do I want to start? Uh, I'll start that there's a Inability for me to value players. So Ernesto, uh, Matt and I we were going down to the little get together and he, we were talking about the, the game and that type of stuff. I mentioned, yeah, I'd like to get rid of Ernesto. And he basically looked at that and says, well, nobody's going to do that. And uh, he recommended the best thing I would do is just uh, cut him and uh, eat the salary, and my original intention was to put my participation points back into my uh, funds so I don't continue to lose money, and then once I continue to lose money, the, man, the owner gets bad, lowers my budget, and you get, you're in that little bit of cycle. So all of a sudden, you come in and say, well, you'll take the INESTO contract, and I go, well, geez, that's close to $22 million. Well, in the international free trade market, uh, people are spending 12 to $15 million. Well, that seemed good to me. Uh, Then my third base, I wasn't getting any productivity out of, uh, I had Colin West and uh, I think it was Pat Holland there and uh, we had this uh, switch hitter third baseman. And one thing I'm starting to do now is I'm not standing Pat a lot of times so I went out and I looked at that and I said yeah that might be good get him in here and see what happens uh, I believe right now he's hitting close to 318 and uh, then Ernesto Garza yeah I think so he's he's doing well for me at that uh, end of it and then uh, Bob Frazier I think was another key part on my end and I looked at that and I says, well, this guy can play a lot of positions and he's young. I was going to throw him in and start developing him more as a, if you want to call it a, a, a big utility player. His bat seemed to be good at, at the uh, AAA level and uh, bring him up. And then he can be one of those super utility players for the future that way. Um, that was my thought. And then. I felt confident about it and comfortable about the, the, um, the trade run. I did not feel at that point in time, you fleeced it, fleeced me or anything like that. And then uh, the board went off in in my opinion, in the wrong direction. Uh, one of the first things I will say publicly is when Brett made the comment, I all of a sudden sat down and said, "Jeez, you know, all the times I think of him as a competitor or an adversary. And maybe now I could reach out to somebody and he would be an advocate. That's something I could bounce off uh, uh, him at. And uh, I don't know what happened and where it went wrong. Uh, So that's all I have to say about it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time
0: to to talk about it, and um, I mean, I've given my opinion of, of mm-hmm. where I was at on the board itself, and I don't want to dig down too uh, deeply into that here
1: because, or we know. don't need to open up that wound anymore. I I hope it's been uh, sealed, and uh, we can move on from this point in time. Well, we'll
0: see. We'll see where where the world goes as far as that goes. Correct. But I did want to let you address that a little bit. And another thing that I'd really like to hear you talk about, uh, as far as the Colonels are concerned, is um, how you feel about the Colonels and your plan, how the, uh, the fact that you have Cisco Ariola and uh, William Moreland on the team right now, how is that driving the way you look at
1: the club? Uh, those are my key players that I have. Without them, you think I'm bad now? What do you think I would be without them? I would really be awful. Well, I want
0: to stop you right there a second, because if you look at your club, right, I mean, who right now in the Frick League, who is leading the Frick League
1: in pitching and defense? Uh, I'm right at the top. Oh, defense is pitching. the Colonels. Yeah, pitching yes. and
0: defense together is yep. the cur- is uh, California. California okay. has get, provided the lowest number of runs to their opponents in the Frick. Second is Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you say you think you're bad right now, I, I think the Colonels are actually pretty decent, uh, mm-hmm. pretty solid. It's just that your strengths are in places uh, that are, that don't pop mm-hmm. right, as far as that goes. So anyway, I, I don't want to,
1: I derailed you a little bit there. Get back onto Cisco and Moreland Well, like I said, I, uh, they're the they're my two workhorses. The fans love them and everything. And similar to what Mike said, these little uh, as I keep phrasing it to him, he calls them data files. I call them X's and O's. We become attached to them and uh, uh, just think they're the God's gift to baseball. <laughs> and I'm in the same way with those two players uh, right now. Moreland is. I think uh, fourth in uh, home runs at uh, 30. He is the team leader in home runs with over 320, I believe, is the magic number. So I, And I got him locked up for now another six years on uh, around $11 million and that. So mm-hmm. I foresee him, and I hope that he can retire from me. And similar with Cisco, that uh, they can retire that's all that I think I can say. <laughs> well, that's
0: completely <laughs> fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed talking with Mike about his love of the files also, mm-hmm. and, um, and you hear that in uh, – not surprisingly, you hear that in many of the GMs here, especially in the BBA that is so deep into the history and the fictional aspect of the game. I think it's almost impossible to really play this game for a very long time without getting uh, a flavor of the people behind the ones and zeros and the X's and O's and the whatever. So, you know, uh, guys like uh, Kyle play the game as a game of chess, right? With mm-hmm. uh, moves to make and understanding the numbers. And, Almost everybody plays it with a certain sense of joy around the fictional aspect of it before it's all said and done. To me, that's one of the interesting things, jumping between the raw chestness of out of the park and the fictional nature of what it means to be in an in a online league in particular. So
1: I will agree with this. Let me
0: take you into the classic lightning round, right? You're familiar with this. I'll run you through a couple of quick questions and see what kind of snap
1: answers that you have. Well, I hope I have the right answers for your questions.
0: Well, there are, <laughs> there are only a very limited number of right uh, answers. If you don't answer them correctly, like, the, you know, the bombs go off and, and it's, a, it's a bad thing. So don't get them wrong. Okay. Right? Okay. So uh, let's start with a similar question that I asked to somebody else. What is the first thing that you look at after you sit down to load up a sim?
1: Well, after I load it up, uh, the first thing I do is I go through and I export Uh, my team via the TPS and look for the success. Uh, It's a quick download and export. And then from there, I continue to move on. Mm -hmm. I look at, take a look here, my front office. I see what type of um, fans that made it in the seats and what my fan interest is, because I'm working on a lot more. I'm, I'm concentrating at this point in time a lot more on the financials. So that's the thing is a quick download so I don't miss it. And the uh, fan interest and fans in the seats, the seating.
0: Okay, so in, as far as the actual league is concerned, we've gone through quite a bit of twisting and turning, right? We had an expansion with two teams
1: uh, for this year. How are you feeling about the, the new divisional structure? Oh, Ron, I love it. And the, the, the main reason that I love it is because I'm only going to be the fifth place team. No longer am I going to be the seventh place team anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've moved up two spots without doing anything.
0: There you go. It's that's, uh, that's a fantastic way of looking at it. Of course, you may end up being like number three or number two pretty soon if you keep going down the path you're going. That's a possibility. There you go. Now, I know from our... Um, our PMs and so forth, uh, that you travel to a lot of baseball parks, right? That is that is correct. That's my little bucket
1: list situation.
0: Uh, well, maybe sometime we can, can talk about that in more depth, but let me ask you a quick question. Talk to me about your one to three absolute favorite experiences
1: in uh, ballparks. Oh, one to three favorite experiences. The two that I would start out well is uh, Wrigley Field and Fenway Park. <laughs> Just feeling the history of those two stadiums. That was something amazing that way. One of the other ones would have been, I'm going to lean towards going up to Toronto and how well the fans behaved and acted in a, in a ball game. And what I refer to that is you're, you're sitting there uh, for the sake of a discussion um, bases are loaded, and it's a 3-2 pitch in the bottom of whatever inning or the middle of the inning, and all of a sudden, the person in front of you gets up and decides they want to go get a beer <laughs> or a brat, and guess what happens to me? I missed the play, and the fans in Toronto were were just amazing. We would sit there, everybody gets up, and moves at the end of the inning. Or if the, if the batter's done and you got that little 30 second between, that's when they left. They knew that the game was here to be played. Interesting. And they, they did that. And the other one would have, uh, uh, on a dark note if you wanna call it, is the uh, Oakland team. We saw, I believe it was the Yankees there, close to 12,000 people. And when we were coming th- through the gate, because we think we got dropped off, we went up some steps over a walkway and you're you're coming up to the stadium and, and seeing the razor wire uh, around the uh, gate entrance. I go, geez, this isn't good uh, <laughs> for the area and that type of stuff. Those would be the three that I would I most remember at this point in time. Well, there you go. I appreciate that. Um, what else do you like to do in your free time? What do I do in my free time? Well, uh, up until about 30 days ago, uh, we have uh, two grandkids, and they just happened to move down to Houston. So that takes them out of uh, our life at this point in time a little bit. Uh, we just uh, FaceTime with them, uh, spend time with the wife, walking and uh, riding our bikes. That uh, Those are the items that we do. Got to keep active. Correct.
0: Let's get back into, uh, into the league and OTP. What do you find the most annoying thing about OOTP is?
1: Uh, not knowing what's going on underneath the weeds, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. That uh, uh, why does a player with a, uh, let just say a seven contact, all of a sudden want to hit uh, 220 or something like that or can't even hit his age? And you just can't figure it out. So what do you do? You, you trade him off to somebody, and he now becomes a 319 hitter. Or the other way, you get the 319 hitter, and he comes to you, and he ends up being a, a 193 hitter.
0: Last question of the lightning round. What is the most amazing moment for you as
1: Colonel's GM? That's simple, winning the uh, winning the title. That, that would have been uh, it. If I recall right, at that time, Matt would post them up as we went along batter by batter and then just feeling the excitement. Oh, my God, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? And it uh, ended up happening and went into work the next day. And yeah, hey, I'm champ here, buddy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Always fun to have something to lord over your
1: friends. Right, and then the, the my coworker says, "You're a champ of fake baseball," and I said, "Yep, that's me." And they were all completely and duly impressed for probably mm, three to five seconds. So, what do your
0: uh, what do your family and friends actually think of this uh, of this weird little pastime?
1: Uh, the wife enjoys it as a little bit of, of uh, amusing. You're doing fake baseball, huh? Uh, the and, and the friends you know the coworkers, you know me and Michael. You guys talking fake baseball again, or you know BBA baseball and that. So they're just jealous. They were envious. That's exactly. correct. Exactly. You know? And and I got the colonel's hat to prove it. <laughs> I heard
0: you have a colonel's hat. I yes. am so jealous. I've got to go find myself a YS9 hat.
1: Well, it's uh yeah I think it's Cedar Rapids colonels. One day I found that and I went online and picked one of those up and bang, got it home. So when we were out at the get together and uh, Lane was there and one of the as we're driving, as we're taking the L back to the car, um, guy says, well, what's that head of? And I had to pause just for a second because I can't say Des Moines. I go, well, it's a minor league team uh, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa type of thing. And he goes, oh, you? I think he almost said that. Uh, Des Moines I said, nah, I don't think I did. I paused a little bit before I said that. Well you have
0: survived the lightning round and traditionally uh, this means that if you would like you can turn the microphone around and ask me a question. And I will do the best I can to uh,
1: to hide all of my secrets from anyone else. So well, any thoughts the, the the first one that I do have, and I struggle with this is how do you keep track of the players? In your minor club, uh, or, in, or in your minors, and know when to promote and demote them. Do you got a wonderful Excel spreadsheet that you're willing to give out to everybody?
0: Oh, I have the mother of all spreadsheets.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness,
0: uh, I'm. Uh, I guess I should never be afraid to expose my my geekiness amongst the uh, crowd of BBA and any OOTP folks who are by definition, a certain amount of geeky, but I have a, a mega spreadsheet that I keep track of. Uh, I mean, it's got maybe 20 different tabs on it, probably eight or 10 of them are active mm-hmm. um, to manage the organization as a whole. But literally I go through every every SIM and update my spreadsheets. I've got a tab for hitters, a tab for pitchers, all of the primary ratings, On those spreadsheets, Um, I have them organized uh, top to bottom major league to uh, each minor league level. I can then filter and sort on position or level. Uh, So, for example, if I want to look at all of the shortstops in my organization, right, I can go through and do a toggle on on shortstops and see, okay, here's the two guys I've got in rookie league and three guys that can play shortstop at, at short A and so forth. Um, I, I asked the question of what do you do when you first sit down to look at a sim? Uh-huh. And what I do is essentially what you just talked about. I go straight to the front office page and I look at finances, right? How is it, How are things going with attendance and so forth? The next thing I do is I go to OOTPU and pull down the dev report and modify my spreadsheet. So I track every, I know when somebody has modified up and down, you know, has bumped up or lumped down in the parlance of the of the BBA. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking for uh, that question of what to do every single sim before it's all said and done. You know, I try to keep things by age meaning if you look at my rookie leagues, you will occasionally see a 21 year old in my rookie leagues. I think I actually have one right now, but that is rare. Um, if a player is 20 years old, they ought to be in SA. They ought to be in short A. If a player is 19, they really ought to be in short A, but they can be in minor minor league team. You'll see a few 20 year olds too, but those guys are probably going to get released uh, fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, At the end of the day, I I include my international complex guys in this. And so I'm constantly looking at when are they ready to go up. I look at ratings as to when people are really ready to go up. Oh, I'm looking at my spreadsheet right this minute, right? I've got uh, Cipriano Rivera is 18 years old in my rookie ball league. He's a pitcher, starting pitcher, and his ratings are 5-4-5. Not his talents, his ratings. His talents are 8-5-6. Uh, at five four five, I look up into my short season A team, and those ratings look like they fit right in, right, and they're ready to go. So Cipriano Rivera is essentially ready to be promoted, um, and so the next question is, how do I make room for him? Um, uh-huh. That will essentially mean either releasing somebody or putting him on DFA and then releasing. I rarely release somebody directly unless it's out of IC. Uh, I will often put somebody on DFA for two weeks, mostly just because then if somebody gets injured, I've got a guy I can plug back in,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, yeah. Similarly, if a guy gets injured and needs to go on the disabled list, maybe that's an opportunity to promote somebody who's ready to go. But it all boils down into this. I mean, the reason that I keep the spreadsheets is so that I can do all these different cuts. I would be unable to feel comfortable managing my team um, if I didn't have that level of of stuff. It takes... it takes quite a while to build the spreadsheet to begin with. I'm happy to give it to anybody uh, who wants it. If you'd like a copy of it, I'm happy to send it to you. Okay. And But it takes probably a couple hours to actually build your team into it. And then at that stage, it takes me about maybe 10 minutes every sim or 15 minutes every sim to update it. Uh, I find value in that because not only do I have the data, but in the process of updating it, I'm actually – Deeply reviewing whether a player has bumped or lumped or.
1: Mm. Well, I, I've, I've noticed, too, that, you know, some people uh, really concentrate on the game and, and spend an awful lot of time. I think it was uh, earlier this year you put out a sim about my I can't remember who it was, but he walks, steals the base, steals the base, steals the base or wild pitch mm-hmm. and scores <laughs> Ron, this is another team. It's not your own.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know it. Well, see, I'm a, t- I'm a beta tester, right? And so uh, one of the things that I'm doing is trying to feed back to the development team as far as how things are going, right? And so this big mega spreadsheet, or that spreadsheet, um, script that I keep is trying to take data that is real and live and related to something actual uh, when it comes to online and being able to feed that information into... Uh, the de- into the development team. So this idea of being able to see, for example, how often do people steal home? Mm-hmm. It is an intellectual question, um, but it is also a real question that the development teams need to know, right? Because they're going to go and compare that to real baseball stats and say, is our sim baseball-like? Yep. Um, so in that process of answering those questions with real life data, I get to find these really cool, fun things that happen to, other, uh, to my team and other teams. Um, and I tend to attempt to, uh, when I find things like that, I try to post them because, number one, they're fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but number two, I want to have other people see what I'm doing. And if there's other questions you can ask or things that I can go deeper on. I mean, I just actually this morning updated the uh, fielding data, so I'll be posting another set of files for people. Uh, mostly, again, because I don't want people to think that I'm learning some great secret that is unknown to anybody else. <laughs> um, that's, not my, that's not my purpose for doing those things. Okay. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. <laughs> so let me ask you a, a, a personal question from this sense of, you know, why are you here? What does the BBA do for you?
1: Oh, what does the BBA do for me? I'm going to, it uh, passes my time. And if you want to call it going into fantasy, you know, wish I could be some of these type of players like this in my life. I realize I'm never going to hit a 90 mile an hour fastball and trying to outmaneuver the next guy. That's not a machine. It's actual person uh, you know, winning something from somebody else. There, there's always that, that you're once you're one notch better than the next person because you looked at something in a different manner or something like that. And then I also realize there's the big luck that comes into play. Oh, yeah.
0: It's fun to compete and it's fun to play in a in a non non constrained game. Right.
1: Well, yeah. And, and one other thing is, you know, when I, I mentioned earlier on when we started, you know, you play the uh, I was playing um, baseball mogul. Well, after a period of time, you can start to see certain things that happen. And when you play against you and the computer, because the computer code doesn't change. And then once you figure out ways to manipulate that code, you start to win more. It's tough to do that with people. And then as we start to cycle new people in and new people out, those all change. That variable continues to change.
0: People are much more fun to play against than than ones and zeros. Uh, That is correct. All righty. Well, I appreciate your time here this afternoon. I hope it has been uh, fun and not uh, too painful and that we can invite you back and uh, chat again sometime. That would be
1: enjoyable, Ron. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks, you too.
0: The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Reckenwald, and competed in by 30 outstanding GMs. You can check us out at montybrewster.net. You have been listening to The GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Be safe. And always remember, even a boring team news is worth two points.